Today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God bless the reading of this word. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Alex. Well, again, uh, my name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are hosting a newcomer's lunch at our house, uh, my wife Megan and I, right after worship. I have some maps printed out. And so if you... Uh, even if you didn't RSVP and you're new here today, this is a great opportunity to get to know a little bit more about who we are and uh, what's our backstory as a church, backstory for my wife and I, you know, where are we hoping to go in the future, all those kinds of things, and there's good food from what I hear. So um, come see me afterwards, and, uh, and I'll get you one of these maps. We'll be really excited to uh, get to know you. Uh, so I, I resisted all, uh, all urges to ask the, the sound team to play a 25-year-old rock song as I walked on stage. I didn't know what message that would convey, but uh, there's a song called Living on the Edge by a band called Aerosmith. Um, does anyone suddenly feel younger? Anybody? Okay. Uh, so the opening lyrics for this song, there's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. Something's wrong with our eyes. And he goes on in this song to talk about how there's something about something we're not seeing, that there's, there's a struggle we have between the part of us that wants to do good and the part of us that wants to do bad. And if only we could see better, maybe that would change our lives. Maybe that would make the world a better place. If only we could see better. If only something wasn't wrong with our eyes. You know, the chorus is, I'm living on the edge I can't help myself from falling, or I can't keep myself from falling. But maybe, maybe instead of falling time and time again, if I, maybe if I saw better, I wouldn't do that as much. Very profound from Steven Tyler, uh, really, and a, a pretty catchy tune. Uh, but speaking of, of seeing, here's another reference for you. Almost 20 years old, uh, The Matrix, right? Mr. Anderson. Neo is taken, and he's brought to a secret room where Morpheus uh, tells him that he is not in the real world, that he is in what's called the Matrix, and it's a fabricated world to make him feel like he's living in the 20th century, when in fact he's living far into the future, but his body is being harvested for its energy by these sentient robots who are ruling the world, right? Not that far-fetched at all. Uh, but after he's told all this, Morpheus, Lawrence Fishburne, says this, okay, this is your last chance. After this, there's no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed, you believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, 
You stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering you is the truth, nothing more. And, and there's something about that story that resonates with us, right? There's, there's something where we, we think of this red pill versus blue pill idea. Uh, are we just going with the flow of what, of what maybe we're told we should think about the world, or is there a better way to see? Is there a better way to see? I think, ironically, the makers of the Matrix wanted, wanted us to, to think that, that our blindness was actually due to religion and actually due to belief in God uh, when it was actually, ironically, borrowing the whole metaphor of the gospel being something that brings us from blindness to sight. That is, it is God who makes the blind to see. They, they took a, a biblical metaphor and flipped it. That is going to go all the way down to the front. And that's okay. That's, it's still going, too. This is great. We got it. Hey, that's a King's Cross water bottle. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for rocking that, Emily. So, what if, you know, if we saw better, we, we think maybe that would make a difference in our lives, in how, how we lived, right? Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to look at this today. What is Paul talking about? What is Paul talking about? About being blind, but then seeing how unbelievers can't see it. They're blinded by the God of this age, uh, and then something changes. What's going on there? So we're going to unpack that today. So we're going we're to see how the Apostle Paul says uh, what it is that can't be seen, you know, what it is we're not seeing, why it can't be seen, and how could anyone ever see it, all right? So what the thing is, the light, right? What the thing is, why no one can see it, and how anyone could see it. The Apostle Paul's uh, unraveling that for us. So first, what is it that can't be seen? Well, what is it? Well, it's the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, right away, that took me a while. I actually memorized that, but that's a lot of religious words. Like, if you're new to church, you're like, Paul, you lost me. Like, that's, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm, I'm even thinking, Apostle Paul, what are you, that's like the most religious connection of words I've ever heard in my life. Um, and yet, as we unpack it, uh, we see that there is incredible beauty and depth to it. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Uh, so let's, let's talk about light, right? Um, and maybe you've heard around Christmas time this idea of light, that people walking in darkness have seen a great light, right? Well, there was one time I was in darkness. I, when I was 15, I went on a camping trip in New Mexico, a very long camping trip. I was involved in the Boy Scouts, and this is a special place in New Mexico where only Boy Scouts get to camp. It's a lot of fun, uh, called Philmont. And I had been camping hundreds of nights, right? Uh, camping was not a new thing. Like, it didn't scare me. It was fun. And however, this one night... For whatever reason, I woke up and I had no idea where I was. Like, we're out in the middle of nowhere. There's no roads. There's, there's only trails. You carry everything with you, you know, 60 to 80 pounds of food, water, clothes, your tent, uh, you know, your, the pot and, and, uh, and whatever else is left, uh, sleeping bag. And you carry all that in. I'm far removed. I wake up. I have no idea where I am. It's really unusual because I camp a lot. Before. I've camped a lot. And I wake up and I'm in a tent and the only thing I can see is, like, imagine the walls of a tent that are kind of a little translucent, and they're illuminated by, by just the stars and the moon. Like, you can't see the stars and the moon, but there's just this faint glow. And so I wake up, and I see this faint glow around me. I think, what in the world's going on? 
And I hear people sleeping next to me. And I'm thinking, okay, there are people next to me. What's going on? I'm starting to panic. And I start to try to move. And I realize because it was cold, I zipped my sleeping bag all the way up. And I'm kind of like in a cocoon. And I'm starting to feel claustrophobic, disoriented. I don't know where I am. I'm starting to feel anxious. My heartbeat goes up. And then I finally feel my flashlight. Uh, I feel my flashlight. Actually, I think before I felt my flashlight, I, I nudged one of the people next to me. And I'm like, hey, hey, where am I? Where am I? And, and finally, one of them woke up. It's like, shut up, Paul. Go to sleep. And I'm like, okay. Um, they know me. Whoever these people are next to me, they know me. Uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, but then I finally find my flashlight. I turn it on, and everything hits me again. Like, ah, okay. I'm camping. This is fun. You know, I, I, I'm with my friends. This is fun. I'm sleeping in the middle, which is great, because if a bear eats one of us, it's probably not going to be me. Like, I, I, all this is, is oh, it's all coming back to me. Well, light can make a huge difference. That light was good news for me. And actually, after I turned on the light, then my tent mates were like, Paul, turn off that light and go to sleep. What are you doing? Because uh, I was waking them up with the light. Um, so, but a light can make a huge difference. It showed me who the people were next to me, their identity. It showed me why I was there, what was our purpose, what was our mission. And it showed me uh, how I was going to get out of the sleeping bag. You know, so I wasn't claustrophobic anymore. I saw, oh, there's a zipper. If I need to get out, I can get out. I have power. I'm not completely helpless. So in the same way, the light of the gospel uh, sheds light on who Christ is, his identity, his mission, and his power. Who he is, what he came to do, what he's doing here on earth, and what power does he have to do that? The light of the gospel. First, the word gospel means good news. And good news, in one way, you can summarize the gospel with three words. Uh, it, It doesn't say everything about the gospel, but if you say Jesus is Lord, that does say a lot. It's not everything about the gospel, but it summarizes the gospel pretty well. That Jesus, the Son of God, God who humbled himself, the, God, the guy who died on a cross, he is the Lord of all. He rose from the dead. He, he's master of creation. He's a healer. He's everything. That is one way to summarize the gospel. Good news to us. Just like it was good news for me to realize, oh, these are the people next to me. I'm sa- In the same way, there's a good news about knowing who Jesus is, seeing his identity revealed to us through the gospel. Uh, and that Jesus... Uh, was the Son of Man who came and died uh, and rose from the dead. Now, it can be very uncomfortable. A lot of people have a hard time with the idea of Jesus being Lord. First of all, we don't use the word Lord unless we're talking about Paul McCartney or Elton John or other, I don't know who else is a Lord, but uh, aren't they Lords? Are they Knights? I lose track. Sir, whatever. Sir, I'm thinking of Sir. Uh, But we don't use the word Lord a lot, but Lord means that you're in charge. You're the boss. You have control. And we don't like to have control. Like, we fought that 250 years ago, and we won, right, um, with the Revolutionary War, right? Uh, so we have our own control. We have our own authority. Uh, we don't like that. And yet, if we're really honest, we don't really want to live a life where we're entirely in control. Imagine yourself on an airplane, a commercial jet, and you know, a world where everyone is in control of, you know, for themselves. You can't, you can't fly the plane. Someone's got to fly that plane. Who do you want to fly that plane? Do you want somebody who knows what they're doing? Or do you want somebody who's just trying it out for the first time? 
right? Do you want someone who, who as you're buckling your seatbelt, you hear over the loudspeaker, uh, hi, my name is, uh, is Marvin, and uh, I'm going to be your pilot today. I've never done this before, but I just, I've been told that if I, there's a little sign here that says push this button to go, and so I'm pushing it, and we're, we're, look, we're going 60 miles an hour down the runway. Isn't that fun? Maybe we'll take off. I don't know. And then, oh, look, I pulled this lever. It looks like we're taking off. I don't know really how, what's going on here with the laws of physics, but who cares? It's fun, right? Uh, I, you know, so just trust me, right? No, we want to know that whoever is flying this thing called life, especially, you know, right now, if you're going through a hard time, you really want to know that, that there's somebody flying this jet, that you're not fending for yourself. Uh, and it is such good news to know that Jesus is the pilot. He is the Lord. Uh, That nothing happens by accident. We might have a a hard time understanding why certain things happen, but the idea of of, of anything, any alternative really would be catastrophically uh, just anxiety uh, building to think that he's not in control, that we're the ones who have to try to do it all on our own, that we are left to our own devices. No, it's comforting to know that we have experts called pilots who, in the midst of the ups and downs, know how to adjust and keep us safe. So the gospel that Jesus is Lord, it shows us his identity. The gospel, light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Uh, the glory of Christ. The gl- part of the glory of Christ is, is his mission that he came and left eternal glory and came down to earth to be among us. A part of his glory is in actually his humility that he came down on mission, gave up so much to pursue us, to seek and save the lost. When, uh, you know, if you imagine yourself uh, in your car and, you know, if someone smashes your car window, you wake up and someone's smashing your car window. You fell asleep in the car or something, but you wake up in your car and someone's smashing the window and they're banging on the side of the door. At first you might think, I don't like this. You know, this, is, this person is, needs to stop. This person is up to no good. But what if you then you realize that you've been in a car wreck and this person is a firefighter and they're saving your life. They're extricating you from the car. They're there to seek and to save you. And when we understand the the beauty of the gospel, the glory that Christ is here to seek and to save us, it makes a huge difference in in how how we embrace him and see him at work in our lives, that we realize that he's not just here to toy around with us. He's not here to, to arbitrarily make rules. He's here to seek and to save us. It is good news. Now, obviously, it's only good news if you know that you need saving. If you don't realize that you need saving, you're still going to perceive that as like an unwelcome, I don't know, a threat, an attack, whatever it may be. But if you know that you need saving, it's a glorious, good thing. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In the fact that, you know, uh, the image of God, we see something powerful that Paul is communicating so first, because Christ is Lord, nothing's impossible for him uh, because he's on mission for us. He's at work to change us, uh, to change the world around us. But because uh, this word made in the image of God, that he is the image of God, that's a reference to, uh, to some biblical Old Testament language that uh, refers to Christ as the second Adam. Now, this is really cool. 
Because the first Adam uh, is, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, is the prototype of all mankind. He's the prototype. Like, he's the first one. He's the one uh, from whom all of us uh, get our genetic uh, code and everything. Uh, but he also was the first sinner, and so we, uh, every, all, human, all humanity ever since then has struggled with sin. But the second Adam, the second Adam that came, and Hebrews talks about him this way, uh, and uh, this is a scriptural word for Jesus, the image of God, the second Adam, that he is the prototype of redeemed humanity, that he is the one who not only came to seek and to save us, but to be the prototype for what our life will be forever. That for those who believe in Jesus, one day we will be living kind of like Jesus did, without sin, without battling inside us between wanting to do good and evil. We will live uh, wholesome, wholehearted lives of joy and, and love and, uh, and not struggling with, not with, with all the other things that do weigh us down. And the world will be free of sin, that Jesus, the image of God, the second Adam, the prototype of redeemed humanity and and this new way of living. So Jesus, who has come, his identity, his mission, and his power to do this is made secure by his resurrection from the dead. It's proven by the fact that he rose from the dead, which of course was attested by hundreds of witnesses. We see him as the prototype of what is to come. This is all really good news. It's incredible news that, that uh, this thing that we're talking about that some people can't see, because Paul says unbelievers can't see it. Unbelievers can't see it. So what, why is that? Why can't this be seen? We've talked about what, can, what it is that can't be seen, the light of the gospel, the light of the glory of Christ, the image of God. But why not? Why can't it be seen? And this might actually be kind of offensive to someone who's not a Christian or someone who uh, is wrestling with doubt because we might assume that Paul is saying, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're stupid. And that's not what he's saying. No, no, no. It's not an intellectual thing. Intellect transcends belief and non-belief. All right? Intellect is something totally separate, but there's a spiritual blindness that we're talking about, something spiritual. Let me try to draw this out a little bit. Uh, if, If we... Uh, there are a lot of natural, a lot of little uh, disasters in my sermon. I'm just realizing today in my illustrations. Um, but here's another little disaster. Uh, but don't worry, it ends up well. Uh, so imagine you're walking down a boardwalk. There's a, a, a river, a dangerous river, next to the boardwalk, and you see a child fall in. And a split second later, so you see a stranger who sees it jump in after the child into the dangerous river to save the child. Y- your first response is not. Well, that was an incredibly rational thing to do. That was amazingly smart. No, your first response is, that might have been stupid, but it was incredibly brave. And, and maybe not so stupid as a result. You, you know the difference there? Like, that, that's a little bit of what the gospel is all about. Because the gospel is about how Jesus came to save us. And how we need a savior. It, it's not so much about, are you smart enough to believe the gospel? No, it, it's, do you understand that you need a savior? Uh, do you look at Jesus and, and say, wow, he's, he might be pretty admirable. He's a pretty good guy, um, but I just don't, you know, I'm just not convinced of, of who he says he is. That's a more likely, more likely a response 
than just to, to stop short and, uh, and think that it's uh, simply an intellectual thing. You talk to Jesus about a lot of people, and a lot of people, most people will say, yeah, he's an admirable guy. He lived a great life. He taught great things. Some of the things he said are downright moving, right? You can't escape that. Uh, scripture cannot be, and the gospel cannot just be boiled down to intellect, right? Uh, but intellect can get in our way. A lot of things can get into our way. Uh, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, it says. Uh, that there's a way that the God of this age convinces us that, that what we see is, is everything. And, and what, uh, what we're told can never be true. If there's any shadow of a doubt, it can never be true. Uh, um, let me illustrate a little bit of what this looks like. The, in The Magician's Nephew, a book by C.S. Lewis in the Narnia series, there's a character named Uncle Andrew. And if I'm remembering this correctly, Uncle Andrew was the very uncle, kind of a, a doubting uncle, not knowing uh, whether Narnia was real or not when his nephew went there and back. His nephew went and brought an apple, I'm pretty sure, to heal his mother. Uh, and his Uncle Andrew found the apple and threw it outside in the backyard. That apple then grew into an apple tree, and that tree was later cut down and made into a wardrobe through which uh, four children walked into Narnia, the, the, the wardrobe of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This Uncle Andrew. Well, Uncle Andrew finds himself in Narnia as uh, Aslan, the lion who represent, represents Jesus, sings Narnia into being. He creates Narnia as Uncle Andrew watches. And so Lewis says this, When the great moment came and the beast spoke, he missed the whole point for a rather interesting reason. When the lion had first begun singing, long ago when it was still quite dark, he had realized that the noise was a song, and he had disliked the song very much. It made him think and feel things. He didn't want to think and feel. Then when the sun rose and he saw that the singer was a lion, only a lion, as he said to himself, he tried his hardest to make himself believe that it, it wasn't singing and never had been singing, only roaring as any lion might in a zoo in our own world. Of course it can't really have been singing, he thought. I must have imagined it. I, I've been letting my nerves get out of order. Whoever heard of a lion singing? And the longer and more beautifully the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Now the trouble about trying to make yourself uh, not hear what's there is that very often you succeed. Uncle Andrew did. He soon did not hear anything but roaring in Aslan's song. Soon he couldn't have heard anything else, even if he had wanted to. And when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake. Uncle Andrew didn't hear any words. He only heard a snarl. And when the beast spoke in answer, he only heard barkings, growlings, bayings, and howlings. Now, this, this almost presents spiritual blindness as, as, a, as a cognitive choice as a decision of the will. And the reality of Scripture says that it's actually deeper than that, that we're actually born this way, that actually all of us are born with a certain, with spiritual blindness, unable to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the image of God, that we're unable to see the beauty of who God is and what he has done. And we, in general, grasp around for truth, sometimes making up truth based on what we see. Uh, this, this is not a real story, but it, so let's just go with this fable for a second. Fable of a, of a, a border officer, a border uh, customs agent. 
who for years has been at the same post on the border, and, and this driver keeps, this truck driver, you know, week after week comes through his same spot. And, and every time this truck driver comes through, he's sure this guy is smuggling something. There's, he, just, he just senses it. He's up to no good. And so every time he stops him, he searches the entire truck, he searches the man, he searches everything, and has never found anything illegal. Then finally, uh, the day before he retires, as the fable goes, uh, he asks the truck driver, what are you smuggling? Like, I know that you're smuggling something. I can just tell. You have that look on your face, and there's like this knowing look that they give each other. I know you are, so what is it you've been smuggling? Tell me. It's driving me crazy. I'm about to retire. Tell me. And the truck driver says, trucks. (laughs) I've been smuggling trucks. And in a way, in a way, we can be looking all over the world, all around, looking for looking for proof of God, looking for irrefutable evidence, and at the same time, at the same time, not recognizing the fact that there's something in us that is looking for truth, that, that we ourselves were created by a God who is truth, that, that we long for truth and beauty, that we long to be connected with an ultimate purpose. How in the world would that be the case unless there was a God who was ultimate, a God who was truth, who made us. Why else would, be, would we be interested in anything more than the here and now? It's like we're looking all over the truck, we're looking inside the truck, and we're missing the truck. That's a way of, of missing what being spiritual, spiritually blind is about. Uh, and again, this, the God of this age is a reference not just to the age, but but also to the, uh, to, the, to the world that we're in right now. That there will be a time, a, a new age, an age to come, in which that God, that lowercase g God, Satan, uh, the deceiver, uh, the devil, that he will no longer have influence in the lives of, of human beings on earth. A beautiful thing. So we've looked a little bit about what it is that can't be seen, then a little bit about why we can't see it, uh, but then thirdly, how can anyone see it? How can anyone see it, right? Uh, because it would have to be nothing short of a miracle to convince us that, uh, that, that there is something to be seen, right? All throughout Scripture, it's interesting that light is, is not self-generated. That all throughout Scripture, that light comes from outside. It comes from outside humanity. It comes from outside the world. And it enters the world and changes the world, beautifies the world. That, that, that it comes from the outside. In the same way, in order for us to see this, to become, uh, to become spiritually sighted, so to speak, as the Apostle Paul says, uh, we need to have them, uh, have our eyes opened, to have uh, the light shine out of darkness, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ to shine in our hearts. Now this is Genesis chapter 1 language. If you're familiar with the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And later it says, uh, he said, let there be light, and there was light. And the world at the beginning was formless and void. There was like just nothing there. It's described as chaos. Or, 
One, just because in the ancient world, chaos was often uh, associated with, with the ocean, which was untamable at that time, that, uh, that is God hovering over the waters. Like, that's the best way they could describe chaos. But God spoke and created order out of chaos. He spoke light into the darkness. He spoke uh, land and, and air and sun and everything. Out of this bog came beauty. And this is how God works. He works from the outside going in. John Newton is, is the author of the, the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Uh, he, Amazing Grace is one of the most popular songs in the world. Uh, an expert who tracks these things, I'm not sure how, uh, but estimates that Amazing Grace will be sung about 20 million times this year. It is incredibly popular. And how often do we sing it but not really think about what it says? That I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind but now I see. Why? Amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound of it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved someone like me. And as a wretch like me, now what's he talking about? John Newton was, uh, worked on a slave ship. He worked on a human trafficking ship. And he himself, actually, for a while, was a slave in Africa. Uh, but then later on, uh, served on a ship transporting slaves. And once he was in a storm, and he recalls this, and, and writes that, that he prayed during the storm uh, when there was damage done to the ship, off the coast of Ireland. He prayed to God to save him, and the cargo in the ship miraculously shifted to fill a hole in the ship's hull, and, the, and then the ship was able to drift to safety. And he saw this happen. He saw this miraculous thing where the cargo just plugged up the hole, and he then, uh, he said he began to believe. He said, I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word until much later afterwards. But that was the time that I mark as the beginning of my conversion to Christianity. I didn't change my ways all at once, but as I grew to know uh, about God and about his gospel, it began to change me. And gradually, he began to have compassion for the, the people that he was trafficking across the ocean. Gradually, he got to the point where he's like, this, is, this really is wrong. I can't do this anymore. And he stopped working on the slave ships. And then he kept changing. God kept making him uh, new, kept making him more like humans should live, and eventually led uh, his words and his work when he connected with William Wilberforce, a politician, led to the abolition of slavery in Great Britain because God changed his heart. See, we are blind even to our blindness. He didn't even know he was blind. But God, when he works in our lives and our hearts, can enable us to see that. You know, and even after we come to know Jesus as our Savior, as the Lord, as someone we can trust, as not only someone who is powerful but also good, as, as Christians, we also struggle with, with seeing. And so often we can feel like we see things uh, perfectly clearly, like we see everything clearly. And we actually need to remember from, from where we came and know that, that it's still a process, that we don't know everything that God knows. And one way to describe how, how Christians see, like we know that we were blind, but now we see. And then so much is different. We know we were lost, but we were found. But we don't know everything. It's like if you live in, in the cold in a place where winter happens 
even more so than it happens here, if that even is possible. Imagine, you know, ice and snow on your car in the morning, and you're cold, and you wanted just to get where you're going, and so you try to scrape, and the windshield is, is hard to scrape, and so you settle for just scraping like a, a hole the size of a pizza, you know, like in your windshield. You're like, I can get down the road this way. And so you're driving down the road, and you can kind of, you can see where you're going, but you're not seeing everything. And it's dangerous to plow through as though you're seeing everything. And so, especially as those, as Christians, who know that we once were blind but now can see. Uh, you know, even the disciples, who, even Peter, who said, you are the Christ, did not fully understand everything about what Jesus was doing. And we can't understand at the same time everything that God is doing. And we can't assume that we know everything. And so, drive slowly. With humility is what that means. Uh, drive, maybe be bold, but also be humble and admit that we don't know everything. But one thing we do know, as in, I think it's in John chapter 9, there's a story of someone who, uh, who is blind and Jesus restores his sight. And he says, you know, I don't know that much about him except at this moment I know I was, I was once blind, but now I see. And, you know, that fact alone is is the wellspring, and can be the wellspring of humility, of joy. Uh, it's enough to change our lives uh, bit by bit so that we treat one another with, with more and more love and compassion. But, but again, back to the firefighter. Uh, we have to believe, the firefighter that's rescuing you, we have to believe that we need to be rescued. And, and so how do we how do we wrestle with that? Like, what if we're on the verge there? What if we're, we're thinking about, you know, maybe, maybe God really is who he says he is. Maybe he's not. There's actually a poet from Maryland named Lucille Clifton uh, who talks about light. And, uh, and I, don't know, I don't know her very well, but her words definitely, definitely can be uh, seen to, to talk about a lot of the gospel here. And she says this, the light that came to Lucille Clifton came in a shift of knowing when even her fondest sureties faded away. It was the summer she understood that she had not understood and was not mistress even of her own off eye. Then the man escaped throwing away his tie and the children drew legs and started walking and she could see the peril of an unexamined life. She closed her eyes, afraid to look for her authenticity but the light insists on itself in the world. A voice from the non-dead past started talking. She closed her ears and it spelled out in her hand, you might as well answer the door, my child. The truth is furiously knocking. There's a reason the song Amazing Grace is so popular. There's truth in it that's knocking on our hearts. It's knocking on us, trying to draw us in. Again, if we imagine we were blind all our life and then suddenly have sight restored, that's a powerful, powerful metaphor from the Bible describing what happens when someone becomes a Christian. And that kind of miracle should give a Christian humility, love, joy, and especially as we interact with others. That's not our standard mode of operation. It's not. It's not. But as we focus on Jesus, the more we, 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 we fill our minds and hearts with him, the more he changes us and helps us see. You know, light is interesting because light is utterly transcendent and utterly imminent at the same time. The sun is so far away and so hot 
that if we were any closer to it, we would fry, right? If we were any further from it, we'd freeze. It's amazing. Uh, and, and yet, even though the sun is utterly transcendent, we feel it on our actual skin. It's incredibly close. And such a perfect example of, of Jesus, the light of the world, right, who came from the heights of heaven down to the lowest part of earth and touched us, healed us, gave sight to the blind, gave hearing to those who could not hear, uh, helped those who could not walk to walk again, forgave sins, who himself let himself be snuffed out on the cross. You know, Jesus was the opposite of spiritually blind. He could see everything going on. He understood what was going on. He loved what was most valuable. He hated what was deceptive under the shroud of appeal. He could even see that some in the world uh, wanted to give him everything that anyone could ever want, and he knew that that was empty. And Jesus also knew what was going on that Thursday night in in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what was awaiting him at Golgotha on that cross, and yet he went and did it anyway. Jesus, the opposite of spiritually blind, knowing what was going to happen, went anyway so that we one day could see because he knew what was truly most valuable to seek and to save you, to open the eyes of your heart. And as Jesus hung on the cross, was he insulting his executioners? No, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is he knocking on the door of your heart today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we rejoice at what you can do. And at bare minimum, certainly we acknowledge that even the idea of you is impressive. Father, we pray that we would, you would open the eyes of our hearts if we don't see it all, or if we already do see, open our, the eyes of our hearts even more so because, Father, we, we wrestle with, with focusing on the things that, that we can physically see instead of the things that you tell us are true that we can spiritually see. We wrestle with, with focusing on the sins of others instead of, instead of allowing you to gently shine your guiding light onto our own sins that we can heal, that we can grow, that we can live life with more wisdom and with more joy. Father, We thank you for being Lord, for going on a mission to save us, and for having the power to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.